Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Story time. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I worked for the National Park Service in Idaho, specifically at Craters of the Moon National Monument and Preserve. The preserve is incredibly remote, about two hours from a town with only one store that's accessible by dirt roads through the mountains. We have a lot of interactions with people who live out there, they can't easily get anything else. I joke that it feels like we're running a small city at times, 
due to all the programs we've got going on simultaneously. So, while working up there, I had this experience happen twice, once in November of 2011 and again in January of 2012. This post will be long, so bear with me. In November, a co-worker and I were exploring the preserve during the day in my SUV. We came across a small cave area where we decided to stop. The road here was very rough, but it allowed us to get close enough that we could hike in without too much difficulty. This cave was relatively small, maybe 7 feet tall at its tallest point, and about 15 feet wide, rough estimates. We walked around outside of it for a short time before going inside, only briefly. The second we did, I'll never forget the feeling of dread I had when my coworker stopped dead in his tracks, staring straight ahead. He looked at me with pure terror on his face, and just muttered the words, no way. I asked what was wrong, thinking something had happened to him, but he just stood there, looking right at me, shaking his head no. I turned around to see what my coworker was staring at, and saw a very large beast hunched over by a large boulder about 8 feet away. We must have surprised it. When I turned around to look at it, it stood up straight in surprise. When I saw the size of the creature, and what it was doing in that cave, I just about pissed my pants. It was bent over, licking the blood off a deer skull, with its back and long, hairless arms ending in huge claws that were bigger than my hands. Have you ever seen Star Wars? This thing reminded me of a darn rancor, at least the way it looked a different head and face, but the hands and claws were almost identical. And the way it held onto that skull, it makes me shudder just to think about it. The teeth looked like something out of a nightmare, longer than fangs, with a huge mouth. Its skin was almost grayish-white, with muscles bulging in its chest, neck, and head. I can't even think of the words to describe how scary this was, and to think it was only about 10 feet away. I'll never forget that feeling. It reacted to our movements and started moving towards us. My coworker was shaking so badly, I had to snap him back to reality, grabbing him by the arm and pulling him out. We had no time to ask questions or speculate on what it could have been. After this thing had taken a couple of steps towards us, we were already out and far, far away. I'm not sure what this was, what it wanted, or if we had somehow stumbled upon its temporary den. Maybe it was trying to protect its kill. Who knows? The drive to Algonquin Park lasted longer than expected. After running into traffic and making a few wrong turns along the way, we got there late in the afternoon. My dad paid the fees at the front gate and proceeded to drive the remaining kilometers into the park. We eventually found our way to the canoe launch and got out of the van, stretching our legs. My dad and Uncle Steve were looking over the maps which appeared to have been hand-drawn by park rangers and were encased in clear plastic. I watched as they traced the route we would be traveling. They both agreed that it shouldn't be too complicated to make it to the campground, despite the fact that we had been delayed getting there. Little bit late in the day to start a portaging trip, said a park ranger to my dad, as we were packing the last of our camping supplies into the canoes. We're meeting up with some friends who are out there waiting for us. They've already set up camp, so we've just got to make it to the island. Well, be careful. Once it gets dark in Algonquin it becomes a whole different world. 
you folks be safe now. Thanks, we will. My dad had lectured us the whole way there in a similar fashion, and I couldn't help but grin to hear him getting a taste of his own medicine. Apparently there were people who got lost in the park every year, never to be seen again. There were bears and wolves, coyotes and other animals in the wilderness, and we would be guests in their domain. I climbed into the front of one boat, and my uncle took a seat at the back. My brother was in the other canoe, and my dad climbed in awkwardly, nearly tipping it over in the process. The water was crystal clear and pristine, and I could see minnows swimming in the shallows, frogs and tadpoles. I took a deep breath in, enjoying the crisp fresh air of the northern outdoors, and admired a great blue heron that was resting in the shade nearby. Paddling along the river, we found our way towards a lake which opened up before us, revealing our first glimpse at the pristine beauty of the provincial park. The silence was overwhelming, away from car mufflers and computer fans and the constant noise of the city. The sense of sudden peace was overwhelming. All I could hear was the sound of my paddle slicing through the calm water, and the occasional call of a bird from the surrounding pine forest that engulfed us. Other trees and plant life lined the lake as well. Maples and white birches. Some pale-looking twisted trees sprang from the high cliffs above, growing against all odds, their roots hanging on from rocky outcrops that ranged in rusty reddish colors. My brother Noel and my dad were struggling with their canoe coordination. Noel and I frequently went fishing using the canoes at our cabin when we went up there, so I knew he wasn't the one having issues, it was my dad. My dad had never operated a canoe before, I realized in that moment. Although he'd spoken confidently saying he knew what he was doing, he was struggling. He had insisted on sitting in the rear of the canoe, which is the most crucial position in the boat, since you act as the rudder, and also the primary source of power. Noel was fruitlessly paddling away up front, while my dad lackadaisically slapped at the water, sending the boat veering back and forth in a zigzag pattern. His ineffectual efforts eventually caused Noel to get slightly annoyed, and I heard them bickering with each other. I looked back at them trailing far behind us and saw their twisting, turning path was taking them all over the lake, whereas we were traveling in more or less a straight line. Has your dad ever paddled a canoe before? Steve asked. I think it's been a while by the looks of it. Oh boy, maybe he should let Noel steer. Yeah, I'll suggest it at the first stop. We arrived at the first place where we had to portage across a short stretch. For those who aren't familiar, this means you have to carry your canoe across dry land for a little ways to get to the next river or lake, so that you can continue your trip. If you have a cooler and luggage and other items, you have to hike back and forth sometimes two or three times. This is when it comes in handy to pack light. It took us two trips to bring everything, including the canoes, to the other side. The hike between lakes was about 10 minutes, so it wasn't too strenuous. That was the easy one, according to the map, my uncle Steve said. The next one is much further. Great, I thought to myself. I guess it'll be my job to carry the cooler again too. We got back in the carved wooden boats and started paddling once more. My uncle had the map and was directing us which way to go, while my brother followed with my dad in the other canoe. At least he had managed to get him to switch seats though. As we went along, 
I saw they were now keeping pace with us, with Noel at the rear of the boat generating more power, and his more experienced paddling keeping them on course. What do you guys know about the legends of the Algonquin? My uncle asked us, making conversation. He and my dad both had a wealth of knowledge on various topics, but things like this were my uncle's specialty. He was an avid outdoorsman and a skilled fisherman, who took a deep interest in aboriginal culture, and the stories they told over generations. Nothing, really, I said. So you've never heard of the Memaguesi? We all stayed silent and waited for him to explain. My uncle was a bit of a jokester as well, so it was hard to tell if he was kidding sometimes. He liked to put on a straight face and tell an elaborate lie in the form of a story, just to take you along for the ride. So we waited to see if he was trying to fool us before answering yes or no. They're water spirits. Mischievous little buggers. They'll steal your camping supplies if you're not careful. Food, clothes, fishing rods, whatever they like. And they can send your canoe off course too. You'll be just paddling along like we are now, and the Memaguesi will send you off from the proper course, and you'll wind up lost. If you don't show them the proper respect, that is. Okay, enough with that Steve. Quit trying to scare the kids with that crap. We're barely gonna make it to the campsite before dark as it is. Turn right up ahead here. The map says it's going to be over this way. We veered our boats over in that direction at my dad's insistence, and I noticed we were in a very shallow section full of reeds and plants. The canoes were almost touching the bottom of the lake. Should we go this way? I don't think that's what the map is saying. My uncle was looking at the narrow river doubtfully. The area we were headed towards looked like a swamp, and mosquitoes were already beginning to land on me and bite my neck as we got closer. My dad and uncle pondered over the map for a while and my brother, and I sat there and slapped at the bugs landing on us. Eventually they decided to take the route which led us down the shallow, winding river, surrounded by tall reeds. I could tell by the silence of them both that they were not sure if this way was correct. The further we got, and the more time passed, I noticed the sun had begun to set. Pretty soon it was almost dark outside, and the water eventually became so shallow that it nearly dried up. The river had turned into a muddy creek, and we were forced to turn around. Ah oh, my dad said. We must have gone the wrong way. We'll have to go back to that lake. I think I read the map wrong. My uncle bit his tongue, and we paddled back against the current. The lake was empty, and it was completely dark by the time we got back to it. There was no moon that night and nothing to light our way. My dad told me to get out a flashlight and cast the beam toward shore, looking for a reflective sign with a symbol for a portage point. Just keep that flashlight pointed at the shore, and tell us if you see a reflective sign anywhere, Jordan. This next portage should take us to the lake with the campsite, so there shouldn't be too much farther to go after we find it. My heartbeat was quickening with anxious fear as our canoes traveled along near the shore in almost total darkness. I swung the flashlight beam around to check for dead heads and rocks in our path, and told my uncle to veer left or right to avoid hitting things that would have tipped us over. We gotta be careful, don't want to fall into these waters. There's another legend, that the people of this area used to speak of, my uncle said while he paddled, 
trying to distract us from the precarious situation we had gotten ourselves into. The Mishiginivig. It's a huge horned serpent. It lives in lakes. And eats people. Okay Steve, that's about enough. My dad was yelling when my ears caught a sound that I couldn't place. It was steady and persistent, coming from just ahead. RSSHHH. The canoes were picking up speed. I looked back and saw that my dad and uncle weren't paddling, weren't paying attention at all, they were just arguing with each other about who had taken the wrong turn. You and your ridiculous legends, you're distracting us all with this, this, useless garbage. Don't say that. You're going to upset them. You should apologize. I finally managed to find my voice, and I yelled back at them. There's a waterfall up ahead. We're paddling towards a waterfall. They chuckled and told me that was ridiculous. There was no waterfall on the map. Then they began to bicker again, and I started to get extremely nervous. The canoes were moving faster and faster, but nobody was paddling anymore. I was just a kid so they weren't listening to me. Can't you see what's happening? I yelled at them. Look how fast we're moving, there's a waterfall up ahead. They abruptly stopped arguing, and now the sound of rushing water could be distinctly heard from up ahead. Okay, let's start paddling towards shore. I think we need to start paddling towards shore right now. My dad was trying to sound calm, but I could hear the panic in his voice. We all began to paddle as hard as we could. In the dim light I could barely see anything but the silhouette of trees all around us, and the ink-black water of the lake. Shimmering reflections of stars were floating on the surface of it, speeding past at an increasing rate. We began to make some headway, getting closer to the shoreline, but then suddenly our efforts became futile. We were being sucked in, drawn inextricably towards the waterfall. I looked ahead and saw it, drawing close. The night sky sat surreally above the surface of the turbulent black water, which flowed downwards, disappearing from sight. And when I saw how close it was, I screamed. Watching in horror, I saw us go over the edge, and the world tipped sickeningly upside down as I fell. Becoming weightless was a harrowing experience as for a moment I floated through the air, my screams echoing out into the night. The wolves howled in response and I descended, looking down to see jagged rocks waiting for us below. Far, far, far down below. We fell and our screams echoed across the lake. I tried to point my feet downwards, afraid of what might happen if I impacted the water incorrectly. After what felt like forever, I landed in the frigid depths below. The surface of it hit me with so much force that it nearly knocked the wind out of me, and I struggled to breathe as I gasped from the cold, sinking downwards. The weight of my boots dragged me below and I kicked, trying to get them off my feet. They felt like cinder blocks, and as my head dipped beneath the surface of the water I gulped it in, and it went up my nose, stinging my sinuses. I called out for help, but my pleas were drowned by the water once more. My head went under again, and this time I stayed down longer. Struggling to get back to the surface, I looked around in the murky water, and saw a pair of eyes glaring back at me from the depths. Yellow eyes that were unblinking and massive, glowing in the darkness. A tipped-over canoe was close by when I got to the surface, and I grabbed hold of it, and took a gasping breath of air. My dad and brother were okay, I saw, 
and my uncle had survived the fall too, although his head sustained a large gash, and he appeared dazed and hurt. You need to apologize Dave, my uncle told my father, sounding drunk now, his words slurred and difficult to understand. You've disrespected the spirits here, apologize before they kill us all. What? Those stories you were telling to scare the kids, are you still talking about that shit? Suddenly I felt something wrap around my ankle, and although I held onto the canoe as firmly as I could I felt myself being dragged down. There was no time to scream, but I tried to take a breath of air before being pulled down below. My uncle's hand reached down and managed to grab mine, and he held on to me for dear life. I felt like I would be pulled in two as the thing from the depths tore at my leg, yanking me downwards. As the time passed beneath the water, my need to breathe became more urgent. I began to thrash and kick my legs, trying desperately to free myself from the thing which was pulling me down. My heartbeat was loud and fast in my ears, and I looked in terror to see the yellow eyes of the thing were very close now. It was coming towards me, and in the black murky water I could just barely make out its massive horn head and gaping maw. Huge fangs and a split tongue could be seen in the dim light, as the snake came face to face with me. The massive beast was so large, it could swallow me whole, I realized, and I cringed and waited for that to happen, momentarily resigned to my fate. But then a light shone down from the surface. A bright torch lamp made the snake cringe and recoil in fear. It loosened its grip on my leg, and I felt my uncle pull me towards the surface. My vision was clouding red and black, and as I began to feel like I was passing out, I broke through the surface of the water, and was pulled up onto a large canoe. Our friends who had been at the campsite waiting for our arrival, had heard us screaming as we went over the waterfall. The campsite was close by, and they had quickly gotten in their boat to come rescue us once they realized what had happened. If not for them we would have been dead. At least so it seemed. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. My dad was repeating the words over and over. It's not your fault Dave. These things happen, his friend Randy was saying, as we paddled over towards the campsite. At least nobody got hurt, right? That's the important thing. My uncle rubbed his bleeding forehead, and rolled his eyes at me. Thanks, Uncle Steve, I said to him quietly. He nodded and said, no problem kiddo. I saw the horned serpent down there, Uncle Steve. I think you're right. We should probably be respectful of the creatures around here. I don't want to get on that guy's bad side again. He smiled, his eyes shining red for just a second in the moonlight, and I noticed his face appeared different, like someone else entirely. A being which had been sent to help us, both ancient and wise. Just wait until I tell you the tale of the great rabbit. I've got plenty of stories, and each with a lesson. For those who will listen, and who have ears to hear. He put two fingers up over his head, making little bunny ears, and smiled. I've been working as a wildlife officer at the Okfenoki State Park since 2010. It's a pretty great job, if I'm being honest. I've always loved nature, and being from the area the heat and humidity never bothered me. There's been some strange stuff going on lately though. 
The job doesn't involve a whole lot, mostly just patrolling the swamps to make sure nobody is hunting illegally, and keeping an eye out for any possible fire hazards during the summer months. Really it's just a peaceful place to be, assuming you keep plenty of bug spray on you at all times. I've been on the overnight shift for the last few weeks, while the regular officer is out on paternity leave. Before he left he told me I would probably see a few weird things typical around the Florida or Georgia line. Method out rednecks, kids sneaking off into the swamp to bang, and the swamp lights. The first two were typical on day shift too, so I wasn't worried about that. The swamp lights threw me for a loop though. The lights are an old superstition. Supposedly it's spirits of lost souls that have died in the swamp, trying to lure others to a watery death. There's a natural explanation for it though. Methane and phosphorus gas from the swamp mixes, and gives off a glow. It actually looks pretty cool after the first scare it gives you. Those aren't the scariest thing that's been happening though. I was out on one of my patrols a couple of weeks ago in the big fan boat that we use to get around the areas where boardwalks haven't been built in, and I noticed something huge floating in the water not far from me. I steered over that way and focused my spotlight onto it. It was an alligator. Well, it used to be an alligator at one time. This one had been a monster, at least 15 feet long and built like truck. Looked like something that crawled out of Jurassic Park. It had been torn to shreds, gashes all along the length of its body, and the head was barely hanging on. Hey, Captain, I said into my radio. What's going on, Smith? The captain answered back into the radio. She was stationed back at the main office at the swamp entrance. We always kept at least two people on shift in case of any accidents, or the rare wildlife attack. I've got a dead gator out here in section 14. I said back. I picked up a branch from nearby and started poking the corpse in the water, trying to flip it around and see if there were any other distinguishing marks. Probably just one of the older ones out there. Nature will sort it out. Captain answered back. Dead animals were nothing new in the swamp, especially with the amount of wildlife out here, but this was something I had never seen before. Negative cap. This gator is a giant, and it's been ripped apart. Ripped apart? By what? She sounded surprised, couldn't say I blamed her. Beats the shit out of me. I said. I still couldn't tell whether it had been torn apart by claws or teeth. The head had been ripped though, the skin was stretched and the bones were sticking out in jagged pikes. I'm getting the hell out of here before it comes back though. You think one of the bears might have done it? Old Methuselah's been a bit more crotchety than usual lately. Methuselah was a black bear that had been tagged in the swamp back in the late 80s. He was the oldest bear we had on record out here, and was somewhat of a local celebrity. He mostly kept to himself, and seemed to get along with most of the gators in the swamp, usually swimming along beside them most of the time. No way Methuselah could have done this. I said back into the radio. I'm heading back to the office. No, head over to the cabin. If there's something big out there, I don't want you out in the open at night. Head in and wait until it's light out, we'll come get you. F. I hated the old cabins. We had a few spreads out throughout the swamp because of how large it was. Mostly they were used as ranger outposts now, 
but they started out as little hunting cabins back in the early 19s. They were small, and up on huge stilts to keep them out of the water, plus to make sure the black bears didn't wander into them, and make a nice little home. I headed over to the nearest one, about a 20-minute ride in the boat. The whole way over I was going over what in the world could have torn that gator apart. Usually they're pretty docile. There's plenty of food for them out here, so one wouldn't have any reason to attack a bear for food, and a bear is the only thing out here big enough to have done that. The only ones out here are black bears anyway, and they're more likely to run than fight. I coasted up to the cabin and stopped the boat fan, pulling it toward the nearest stilt and tying it down. With the sound of the fan not overtaking my hearing, I started to notice just how quiet it was. Usually there were cicadas, frogs, crickets, and all kinds of other wildlife making noise all over the swamp. Now I didn't even hear the usual owls in the trees. It was like everything had run away. Once everything was tied down I grabbed onto the ladder, and started the climb up into the cabin. I pushed open the small trap door and pulled myself into the cabin. It smelled like mildew and dirt, but at least it was a safe place to sleep, out of reach of any dangerous animals. I looked around the cabin until I finally found the generator in the corner. Luckily we have someone come out to these once a month and replace all the gas and make sure nothing has chewed through the wiring. I would actually have light and some air conditioning so tonight wouldn't be too bad. That's when I realized the gas canister was mostly empty. They must have forgotten to hit this one last month. Shit. I still have a supply of batteries down in the boat, and we keep some small lanterns around. But it wouldn't be nearly as good as having all the lights on the cabin. I looked out the window into the swamp. There was a bright light coming from about 50 feet away. It looked too bright to be one of the swamp lights. Hey captain, I said into my radio. You got somebody coming out to me right now. You and I are the only ones out here tonight. She said back. Ain't nobody coming out there until sun come threes up. More lights started to pop up near the first one. They were spaced out, but all just as bright. There's lights out there captain. I think they're moving toward me. I tried to hide the shakiness in my voice. The lights were getting closer. Just hang tight, try to get some slee. The radio cut out with a high-pitched burst of static. Shit. Cap. Cap can you hear me? It was useless. The only thing coming through was a low buzz of static. I looked at my watch. It was only 11.19pm. I had at least 8 hours before someone would be out here. The scream started a few minutes later. It sounded like a child, the screams when a kid falls and scrapes their knee, and don't know what to do about it. They were anguished. They were coming from the direction of the lights. F this. I said to myself. I'm not sticking around for this shit. I grabbed a lantern and the flare gun off the wall, and pulled up the trapdoor to get onto the ladder. I practically jumped down to the boat, and started to unit it from the stilts. I reached down to the engine to pull the cord. It was gone. The pull cord had been cut off, there was no way to get the fan going. I'm stuck here. The screams grew louder, and I turned to see the lights only a few feet away. I hightailed my ass up the ladder. I could hear something ripping at the boat behind me as I closed the trap door. I heard the splinter of on of the stilts and felt the cabin sway. 
I've got my cell phone and my signal comes and goes. I'm going to try and keep updates going as I can. I've got every lamp in the cabin on, and I'm sitting in a corner as far away from any of the windows as I can get. The screaming has stopped, but I can see the glow of the lights coming in through one of the windows. If you're reading this, send help. Part 2. According to the clock and calendar we keep in the cabin, I've been here for two days. Not that I would be able to tell, seeing as the sun hasn't come out this entire time. It's been dark since I got here that night. The only light I've seen is from those Gotham swamp lights out there, and they've been coming and going as they please. I still don't know what they are, but I know there's something else out there with them. I've been trying to sleep since I've been here, not like I have the ability to do much else. The boat is trashed, one of the stilts of the cabin is splintered, and I sure as hell can't swim out of here. I was looking out the window last night, between naps, and saw something moving between the lights that were out there. It was big, at least the size of a SUV. It around the perimeter around the cabin, walking on four legs. It wasn't a bear, I knew that. We didn't have any bears that size in the swamp. I hope to whatever gods are listening that it isn't a gator. I can't get too good of a look at it with how it's weaving in between the swamp lights, but I saw it knock over a tree on its way through. So, here we are, two days stuck in this shithole of a cabin, surrounded by floating lights that scream, and whatever biological nightmare shambling around out there. I know some people asked why I didn't call the captain using my cell. You really think I didn't try that? I just get a busy signal. I've tried sending out texts and messages too, but they all just show read. I haven't gotten anything back. I really hope someone can tell the captain that I'm out here. If they ask, I'm in the section 1418 cabin, out near the gator bog. Holy shit. It hit me. If I'm near the gator bog, then there's a boardwalk not too far from here, maybe a mile or two. That will lead me directly out to the swamp entrance and the head office. I looked around the cabin and found the map that we keep of the entire swamp with all of our trails and stations marked. Okay, I'm in sector 14, and the boardwalk is a mile and a half southwest of me. Right over the Florida border. I'm going to have to try to sneak out of here though. Maybe I can make a paddle for the boat that way I don't have to swim. I looked around the cabin, taking inventory of what I have available. There are some battery packs, a set of radios, a flare gun, and the emergency rifle with 20 rounds of ammo, plus the lantern and a couple of flashlights, with glow sticks as backup. I think there's a backup oar in the fan boat, but I'll need to check to be sure. The other thing I'll have to do is distract the lights, and whatever that thing is in there. I may need to use either a flare or a few of the rounds of ammo. I don't think bullets will hurt the lights though. I thought it over for a few minutes. This was going to take some trial and error before I go anywhere, and I've seen what those things out there can do to the cabin, so they could break me in half no problem. I'll load up a flare and see what that does. I have six flares total, so one shouldn't be an issue. I loaded it up, stood at the window, and took aim at the nearest light. The flare shot off, the red light almost blinding me. Before it landed I saw it pass through the light. The light changed. It had a face now, gaunt, with hollow, black eyes. Sharp teeth showed from the twisted maw, almost as if it was screaming in terror. I heard a roar of anger from it, 
and it shot toward the cabin, howling. I pulled the shutter, trying to close the window before it got here, desperately hoping that would keep it out. It banged against the side of the cabin, and I could hear claws scraping against the wood. At least I finally had an answer to their state. They were solid, so maybe bullets could hurt them. Okay, I think I'm ready. There's a small propane tank under the camp stove in the corner. I can rig that to a flare, throw it out there, and shoot it as a distraction. Then I jump down from the trapdoor, land in the- Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The boat and roll my way out of here. I'm going to wait for a while and observe. That swamp light I shot at is still howling outside. That's a sound I'm never going to forget. It's, it's like a child screaming, but warped, as if it's being put through an echo and drawn out. God, I hope I make it out of this hellhole. The radio suddenly let out a burst of static. I could hear a voice coming through. Cassin, Cassin, are you out there? Holy shit. It was the captain. Cap, can you hear me? I'm here. I'm in the section 14 cabin. I shouted back into it. The howling outside got louder, the clawing at the wall more furious. Cassin we searched the cabin. You weren't there. Where the hell are you? What does she mean? I've been here for two days. They had to have seen my boat down there. Look, we found your boat back near that torn up gator. Just stay where you are, we'll find you. Captain, I'm in the cabin. I haven't left the damn cabin. I shouted back. I was panicking now. If they couldn't find me, what hope did I have? I think leaving is my only hope. I need to get the hell out of here, and at least get back to the main office. From there I can at least been a little more safe behind some cinderblock walls, instead of this old rickety cabin. I have to go through with my plan. I'm writing all this into my phone, and setting it up to go out automatically when I have signal again, if I don't make it, hopefully somebody can read this and find my body. I still don't know what the giant creature is out there, but I assume it's what tore up that gator the other night. I'll try and update again if I can make it out of here. God, please let me make it out of here. It's raining again. To be honest with you, I'm terrified of rain. I never leave the house when it's storming outside. But to give myself some credit, I never used to be like this. I used to love watching the rain fall from outside the windows, but now I always have my curtains pulled tight across the edges of the windowsill. I wish I could show you what made me the way I am, partly to warn you, partly to verify myself. But I can't. I can only write out my story like it's some sort of fantasy. As if it's just another bizarre story on the internet that deserves to be forgotten in a week. If you see it like that then that's fine, but I won't forget. I'll never forget. In 2012, I was a 21-year-old college student. I was absolutely madly in love with nature and all things wild. 
I had spent my childhood roaming up and down tree lines fantasizing about mythical creatures and fantastic monsters. Now there I was in 2012 as an adult, studying forestry with dreams of defending those tree lines and fantasies I held so dear. I was absolutely ecstatic when my professor announced an opportunity for some extra credit. He suggested that we spend a few days of our upcoming break, walking along some trails and paths to remind ourselves why we were doing what we were doing. As an avid hiker I knew of a hiking trail, a few hours over from our town, that offered plenty of room to walk with very little crowding. The only ones who really walked more than a few minutes down the trail were the park rangers, and the chances of seeing one of them on the ever-winding and expanding trails of the forest seemed small. Hey Lily, want to take a trip down to the preserve with me? I asked as the bell finished tolling signaling the end of the school day. The girl next to me, Lily was a quiet and sweet girl. She had long brunette hair that stretched just past her shoulders and gentle green eyes. She was the type of person who people admired from afar. Beautiful but silent. A passing joke or compliment would make her smile, but she'd very rarely comment back. To most that'd make them move on to the next person, to me, that made me want to be closer to her. We'd been friends for a while at this point, whether or not any sort of romantic intent was had between us I couldn't say. We just knew we connected on some sort of level. Yeah of course, just tell me when. She looked into my eyes with a soft smile on her face. I smiled back at her. I hoped this trip would turn out well. A few days passed. Lily and I spent our free time in stores gathering food, supplies and tents together. Soon enough we were all packed up and ready to head out. We took my small car with our bags tied down on the roof, and took the highway a few hours east. By the time we got there it was mid-afternoon, still plenty of time to walk, but also a bad time to find parking. There was plenty of people here walking their dogs, setting up lunches and walking the paths. I thought you said it'd be quiet, Lily asked with a slight snicker. I rolled my eyes in response. I'm sure these kids aren't planning on hiking a few days in. It'll get quiet I promise. I spun around and began taking our large packs off of the roof of the vehicle. For as big as they were, they were surprisingly easy to carry. Lily slipped the straps over her shoulders and waited for me to start heading towards the park. As we approached the trail's entrance, we saw a ranger loosely standing guard. You guys heading in, he asked, there was no hostility or caution in his tone, he was just merely asking a simple question. Yeah, that's alright right, I questioned the fit middle-aged man. Of course, just let me know your names and take my card. If you need anything call down to the station. There's a couple ranger shacks deeper in, feel free to use them if you need to just make sure to clean up. The ranger gave a welcoming smile and handed me a small business card for the local ranger station. Thank you. Oh, and my name's Max, this is Lily. Lily gave a small nod at the ranger, and he nodded back respectfully. Well Max and Lily, you enjoy yourselves out there. We'll be patrolling around so if you see us don't be scared to say hi. With those words the ranger backed away from the entrance, and we began our trek. We spent half of the first day slowly walking in quiet appreciation. There's something so liberating about walking with no time limit. 
It's like all of the world's stress slides right off your back, and the only thing you have to worry about is yourself. In that exact moment you're all that matters. No bills, no studies, no cares. Just avoid snakes and strange plants, and you're all set. It wasn't a long into our journey before the sun began to nestle itself behind the trees and the warm, but steadily dropping, temperature of the late afternoon's winds began sweeping under our sweaty clothes. Let's find a clearing to settle into. Lily said, her head tilting from one direction to the other looking for a place to set up. I nodded in approval and saw a small opening further down the path, clearly made by others who took a similar trip. It only took a few minutes to set up our tents in the clearing, and to start a small fire. After all that walking and hard work, we were finally ready to be off our feet for a while. Lily plopped herself down on the opposite side of the fire I was sitting at, and pulled out a granola bar to eat. I felt a rumble in my stomach, and pulled out one of my own. This place is really beautiful. She said, taking a large bite out of the bar. Yeah, haven't seen many animals yet though. I unwrapped my food and placed it on my lips ready to take a bite. I quickly glanced over at Lily and froze. In the increasingly darkening forest just off the trail, just behind Lily, was something about the size of half a football. It was cloaked in the darkness, but I assumed it had to have been some sort of small critter. I began to squint my eyes trying to focus on it. But whatever it was seemed to fade out of existence going straight into the ground. Everything alright? Lily asked. I realized it must have seemed like I was staring at her with food half in my mouth. I laughed and shrugged, shaking my head softly. Yeah sorry, I thought I saw an animal or something off in the woods. It was small, could have just been a rabbit or something. It must have burrowed into the ground though. My friend peered over her shoulder into the silent woods and looked around. I knew she wouldn't see anything, whatever it was left as quickly as I caught sight of it. We ended up finishing our meal, extinguishing the fire and climbing into our separate tents. I slept like a log, all of that walking put me out like a light. It wasn't until the morning that I woke up. I stumbled out of the tent nearly tripping on the small fabric ledge at the exit of my portable shelter. The hot and humid summer's morning sun hit my like a pile of bricks. Just so you know, I think we need to watch out for snakes. Lily said softly while I was wiping my brow. I looked over at her to see her undoing the tent's supports from the forest floor. Did you see one? I asked, bending down and following suit with the camp cleanup. I think so, I heard something rubbing on the bottom of my tent last night. I opened my eyes and the indents on my walls looked like a pretty thick snake trying to wiggle its way in. She didn't seem bothered by the potential late night visitor, so I kept her warning in my mind, but continued on. As our journey went on we realized that every step we took there was another blotch in the sky. Somehow a storm was brewing overhead that none of the forecasts we had watched warned us of. How much longer until it rains? Lily was interrupted by a large thunderclap nearby in the clouds. I felt the earth tremor below us before a few raindrops began falling from the dimly lit sky. Thanks Lily. I said arching my head towards her direction. She scoffed, and I laughed. The rain was little more than a small drizzle at that moment, but it was clear it was going to get worse. Let's hurry and find a place to set up. 
I watched as she began to increase her pace, slowly moving from a walk into a jog heading deeper down the trail. I followed suit right next to her. For a while it seemed like we weren't going to find a clearing anytime soon. We were already on the verge of being considered undoubtedly drenched, and to our luck, at that exact moment of thought, another strong explosion of thunder erupted from above. This time the floodgates were opened, rain began to fall with a purpose, and with enough force to erupt on impact, splashing everything nearby with the drop's watery contents. Hey, right over there! I heard Lily yell out, just barely audible through the thunderous rain. She was running off of the main path down a small side trail nearby. I looked at where she was heading and saw a small cabin. I ran off the path with her. With each step more and more mud thrust itself against my legs. I increased my speed hoping to catch up to my light-footed friend, but something caught me off guard. The tip of my foot slid underneath something and my momentum carried me downwards, face first into a mud bath. For a few seconds I was dazed, just laying down in the runny muck pit. I eventually looked down to my feet and saw what looked like a thin tree root, also caked in dirt, erupting out of the ground. But as my eyes kept on the root, those initial assumptions fell to the wayside. The shimmering of the mud is what made me realize that whatever this object was, it was moving just beneath the mud. Then it clicked in my head, the snakes Lily had brought up, I had just tripped over one of them. I felt a shiver cross over my back, and I jolted back up to my feet and continued on my path, abandoning that snake behind. Without another incident I made it to the cabin doors and busted inside, finally free from the hurricane-like storm. Wow! A familiar voice rang out in the shack. I looked over to see a drenched but otherwise clean Lily staring at me with an amused smile on her face. Decide to have a wrestling match out there. Ha ha funny. I said looking down at myself. Mud was dripping off of just about every pore of my body. I think I met one of your snakes you mentioned out there, it decided to give me a little trip. Oh really? Lily said as she grabbed me and turned me around, searching the pack on my back for something to help me clean up. You were right, they're pretty thick. I wonder what kind they are. I can't imagine them being venomous being that wide. I felt the hands of my companion yanking out fabric from my pack. I took some time to look around the cabin as Lily pulled the towels free. It was wooden, old and completely empty. There was a cooking stove off to one side, but other than that it looked very sparse. Clearly it was only meant for a quick one-night stay. Here, get yourself cleaned up. I turned back around and Lily handed me a bundle of towels. I immediately wiped off my face and brow. The dirt was already starting to dry and stick to my skin. Thanks. I replied to her as she began setting up her things. I put my pack down against the door and walked over to a window still wiping myself down. I watched as the rain continued its assault on the earth the dirt running like rivers down the valleys and trails both natural and man-made. It looks terrible outside. I remarked. I heard a small groan of acknowledgement come from behind me. I let my eyes trail over the forested wetland over to the path we took to get up here. My body locked up when I saw something right where I tripped. Something was protruding from the ground like a small pillar. 
I rubbed the inside of the window fruitlessly to clear off the fog and obstructing rain. I could barely make out what looked like a thick, partially submerged branch broken off on one end with small twigs splintering off skyward. Hey, come and look at this. I called out to Lily who was still fondling around with her bags. Is it the snake? She asked, rising to her feet. I don't think so, it looks weird though. I watched the mud-coated object get hammered by rain as Lily approached and peered outside. Is that a broken tree root? She suggested. I could only shrug. Whatever it was wasn't moving. Wait, Lily chimed in again, look at the color. As more and more of the rain ran its way down the object, the less obstructed by mud the object became. I narrowed my eyes, pushing past the raindrops on the window, and noticed exactly what Lily was talking about. Whatever was under that mud was a pale shade of grey. Oh my god. Lily gasped and grabbed her mouth. What is it? I turned and looked at her, my eyebrow upturned in confusion. Look at the end of it. She said holding her breath. I turned my gaze back outward and focused in. I felt my heart drop. Fingertips. It was an arm reaching out of the ground, still as the grave. Oh my god. My voice wavered slightly. We should call the rangers and get them out here. Where's their card? She asked, hand extended towards me. I reached into my pocket and pulled out a wet but legible business card. Without hesitation Lily snatched it out of my hand, and began dialing the number in. Hello, I'd like to report something on one of the trails. She paced back and forth on the squeaky cabin floors. I turned and kept my gaze on the hand. It looked petrified in place, fingers eagerly reaching towards the sky, letting the water rush over it. We're at, she began to stutter, we're at, uh. I heard the voice on the other side of the phone chirp up, and Lily nodded. Hey Max can you take a step outside, and tell me what number's next to the door. I peeled my eyes away from the hand. I felt an increasingly oppressive air pressing its way inside the cabin. I shook my intuition away and walked to the door. I opened it up and stepped outside. I peered towards the arm, and could see it more clearly without the blurry window between us. It was hairless, smooth, and the fingernails seemed clean and trimmed. The water that gushed over it almost seemed to vanish on impact, as if it was some sort of sponge. I had to force my eyes away from it to view the number on the wall. 17. I took a deep breath repeating the number in my head, before the sound of a loud clap echoed off behind me. I jumped slightly on edge. I turned back towards the direction of the arm, and saw nothing in its place. Just the mud quickly running down the trail. I swallowed hard and rushed back inside. The number 17, but I think the arm fell back into the mud. It's not there anymore. Lily's eyes went wide as she relayed that information over to the dispatcher. It wasn't too long until she pulled the phone away from her ear and hung up. They told us to stay put, and that this storm's not going to pass anytime soon. They said they've got a ranger on the way, and the police have been informed, but it might take them a while to reach us out here. I bit my lip and looked back outside towards the empty path. I hope it didn't get dragged away by the current. I mumbled, Lily came up right beside me joining me at the window. I'm sure they'll be able to follow that mud slick down to wherever it goes.
On the bright side that rain cleaned you up a bit. She gave a reassuring smile and I looked down at myself. My clothes were still riddled with mud, but the rain on my skin seemed to have washed away most of the dirt. I guess that's always a plus. I said stoically. Come on Max, let's make ourselves at home at least. I'll just lock the door in case, well, you know. Her voice trailed off. In case there's a killer out there, I mumbled at her as she walked over to the door and flipped the lock. She turned around and averted her eyes from my gaze, choosing instead to continue her mission of getting set up. After a few minutes of silence we had our food laid out in front of us. We had agreed that once the ranger gets here our little expedition was over. We had seen more than enough in just the past two days than we could have in a lifetime. Let's eat and try to get some sleep. I said, chowing down on some extra rations. Lily nodded and joined in on the feast. With full stomachs we set up for bed. I noticed my friend kept looking out towards the darkened windows. I could feel tension in the air. Everything alright? I asked. Lily shook her head dismissively. I just feel weird, like I'm being watched. I'm sure it's nothing but just to be safe. She ripped off her pillowcase, then mine before walking over to the windows, and draping them over the glass as makeshift curtains. I just don't want anything looking in at us while we sleep. I don't blame you. I made my way to my bedroll and caseless pillow before lying down, trying to get comfortable. Lily did the same. It was a few hours into the night before I heard Lily's hushed voice. Max, Max, wake up, do you hear that? I opened my eyes less groggy than I expected and met Lily's gaze. She was staring at the wooden door of the cabin. I spent a few seconds watching the door before I lightly saw the handle of the door jiggle. Someone was trying to get in. What do we do? Lily asked, I was speechless. Maybe it's the, our whispered conversation was interrupted by a loud knocking coming from the other side of the wooden door. Bang. 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 I jumped to my feet. It's got to be the cops. I began my slow meticulous walk to the door. Who's out there? Silence. Hello, I yelled again. Abruptly the banging started again, loud enough to drown out my voice. I took a step back from the door and kneeled close to the ground. Each impact on the door rocked the wooden frames of the small cabin. I watched as one of the pillowcase curtains began to slowly slip off the window. No. Lily whispered, tears in her eyes. I rushed over to the window just as the fabric fell, and was met face to face with the darkness outside. The banging on the door stopped suddenly. I very carefully kneeled down and grabbed the fabric in my hands to toss back over the window. Thud. Appearing out of the darkness was the palm of a hand, it slapped the window with a heavy force. I could only see the pale palm and the shroud of blackness outside. I quickly threw the pillowcase back on the window, and backed up to Lily. She was shivering, her eyes wide with fear. That was the hand Max, that was the hand that was outside earlier. I felt my heart drop into my stomach. I wrapped my arms around Lily for as much my comfort as hers. Thud. 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 The wet palm of the hand kept slapping against the glass, I could hear ripples of cracks spreading along the windowpane. I squeezed onto Lily as she balled up, and kept my eyes focused on the pillowcase, 
covering the glass hoping it wouldn't fall and expose that lifeless arm again. With one last thud it stopped. A light shone through the fabric of the window mere seconds after the attack halted. I could hear the struggling sounds of wheels rolling up towards the cabin. I let out a sigh and a prayer that the rangers had finally made it. With the sounds of the wheels stopping just a few yards away, I finally heard a voice call out from the void outside. Lily, Max, you in there? The voice sounded familiar, it was the ranger from the day prior. I slid to my feet dragging Lily with me. Yeah, we're inside, but someone's out there. I yelled. I rushed over to the door and opened it to see the ranger standing stiff off in the middle of the small opening in front of the cabin. He was facing us, but the light from his rover coupled with his hat covered his body in intense shadows. His body seemed rigid. Come out of that box and we'll get you home. The ranger said, his voice seemed different this time, disjointed from his body. I stayed quiet, something was very wrong here. Step out of there. Now. The voice grumbled, unrecognizable from earlier. Are you alright? I called out a little more than a whisper. Of course I am, can't you see my smile? The ranger tilted his neck backwards. His hat slipped from his skull, which allowed the light from behind him to illuminate his face. His eyes were wide and full of both pain and fear, his lips were quivering in shock. I backed up more into the doorway and watched as two impossibly long fingers trailed their way from behind the ranger's head, and made their way across his cheeks to his mouth. They slid inside with little resistance, and began pulling his lips outward in a mockingly gruesome smile. Then they kept prying. I watched as his lips strained with the force of the fingers inside of his mouth. His lips became white with the stress placed against them before a shower of red erupted from his mouth, parting the centers of his lips like sliced meat. I'm so perfectly happy. A voice called out from just behind the ranger, its voice thick and unnatural. I looked for the source and froze. There, right next to the ranger's feet was a half-submerged human face dug deeply into the mud. Its black cold eyes shone from some unknown source. Whatever this was, was a monster of the strictest definition. Its gaze was so vastly separated from humanity, that there was no common ground between us. As I locked eyes with this thing, human in shape and deviled in eyes, I saw the ranger fall into the mud. Just behind his head was a long spider-like arm stretching out of the ground, seemingly changing its size and shape, as if it only faintly followed the laws of this reality. The ranger's body twitched and spasmed on the ground, as more and more lifeless hands began to slither out from the mud, wrapping their hands around his body. I was so thirsty, but now I'm so very hungry. The submerged head called out unblinkingly towards me. Without another warning the ranger's body was ripped under the earth and devoured by the mud. The ground where he was shifted and bubbled over like a small eruption. The creature's eyes stared at me with a deadening gaze. It was observing me. I let out a small chirp from my mouth. Without changing expression the head effortlessly started gliding through the earth towards the cabin, fingers and arms popping out from the earth around it like fins from a shark. I had stored enough courage to slam the door shut, and lock it before running back over to Lily who saw the whole thing. What is that? She asked, her voice trembling. 
I shook my head and slumped down next to her. I don't know. We sat in silence until the sounds of scratching came from below the floorboards. Hundreds of fingers tearing away flesh to the bone trying to burrow their way upwards. All we could do was sit in the corner furthest away from the windows and pray they didn't get to us. That night we watched as the floors pulsated upwards and downwards, as the foundation began to crumble. Those arms were going to drag us, and our wooden coffin downwards into the earth. I didn't know what to do. I sat there as the floor cracked open and mud crept up through the seams of the boards like blood flowing from a vein. I sat waiting to die, but Lily had other plans. She grabbed my hand and yanked me up my feet. She stared at the door for a split second before sprinting off with me in tow. She bursted open the door and ran towards the ranger's vehicle. Luckily for us the ranger never shut it off before the earth took him down. We both hopped on its seat and zipped off the path back from where we came. I hazarded a glance back towards the cabin to see it crumbling into the ground, but there was something else there. Still half submerged on the path mere yards away from us was that unblinking head, its black eyes shone dead set and emotionless on our escape. We kept driving and driving for God knows how long, until we hit some other rangers who were on a scouting mission up to us, and their missing comrade. We told them everything we could, but the looks of disbelief said enough to us. We were labeled as emotionally distressed and unreliable witnesses. The powers that be listed the disappearance of the ranger, and the cabin as accidental by case of mudslide. Now every time it rains I wonder if somewhere out in the woods, a single head peers out on the trails waiting for someone to pass by, a million hands waiting just below the surface to drag them down into the earth. I was maybe 10 years old. Still awake in my bed, when I looked at the door and saw a small boy, maybe 7 years old, with short straight blonde hair, fair skin, wearing a red shirt. He had inhumanly large and slanted dark eyes like those of an anime character, or a grey alien from the movies, and was on all fours, just smiling at me with a mischievous look. It scared me a lot, and I felt it was, evil somehow. I'm 25 years old now, and I'm still afraid of sleeping alone. I don't know what it was. Sometimes I tell people I've seen an alien, or a demon, or a ghost, or an elf. Could someone here explain to me what it was? It certainly looked malevolent, or at least mischievous, and it seemed to be non-physical, since it just materialized in my house and just disappeared afterwards. Just for context, I live in South Brazil, in a rural area. After finishing masturbating, I started to feel sleepy, as I usually do. But as I drifted off, my lower body, from my waist to my feet, began to shake. When I opened my eyes, sitting on my lap was a pile of what I could only describe as tentacles emitting a low red light, and somehow it was projecting almost screaming into my head. It only disappeared after I turned my phone light on it, but the shaking continued. It only stopped when I turned my bedroom light on. Would anyone have any idea what this could be? I've experienced things like this before but never with enough detail to see an actual presence in front of me. I think someone died in one of the apartments next to my work. 
The last two weeks or so there's been this black figure. At first it was kinda hooded, but then I sensed it's a female, an older female. I started to see her clearer, and she want. Leave. Me. Alone. I've told her to go away, leave me alone, I can't help you etc. I'm not that religious, but I prayed the standard prayer our father. It helped for a little while. But not anymore. I can feel her trying to attach herself, and I keep telling no, she's getting bolder, and honestly. It freaks me out. I'm scared she might have followed me home. But my fiancé and dog don't sense anything. What do I do? I can't smudge or anything since that stuff is unavailable, and this is my workplace. No live candles or anything is allowed indoors. How can I get her to leave me alone? When I try to ignore her she comes closer. My friend and I are still questioning our mental health after experiencing this. We were going for a walk when we passed by the large primary school and heard the sound of children crying, laughing and screaming like usual. We laughed it off until I, the first, heard one of the children say something to me, calling my name. I turned around to see the children still casually playing. No child was looking at me. My friend noticed I stopped walking because I was confused by what I heard. Then, a few children began talking at once, saying something to us that only an ex-friend would say. About 20 or so children were talking at once, in the same beat, and they were calling me a nasty person who had betrayed them, something my ex-friend would say. It felt as if something was using their mouth to speak. I thought I was hallucinating, but my friend who was standing right next to me was hearing it too, as I looked next to me. She was as astounded as I was. For a few minutes it went on, something was berating us through their mouth. The teacher on yard duty seems to pay no attention to this event despite walking past them. I assume she thought the children were playing a prank, but were they? The other children who were not involved seemed to completely ignore it. 